Okay, let's bring in Bruce Heim, a well-known and successful businessman in the Penn State area, the founder and funder of the Second Mile Program. That's Jerry Sandusky's charity. Hi, Bruce. Hey, Liz. How are you? Doing well. So can we start off by you telling us how you met Jerry Sandusky, how you got involved in the Second Mile? I met Jerry Sandusky on the playing field. I played for Army. He played for Penn State. At that point, he sat on the bench, and I started. Uh, but we weren't friends and were not really acquaintances, but we met there. Uh, later on, Dan Riley, who was the strength training coach for Penn State, invited me to speak to Jerry about joining his charity. Uh, talked to Jerry, decided it was a wonderful thing to do, and indeed did it. So I was one of the very first people on his board. And now, Bruce, for the tell people, just remind people how successful the second mile was up until obviously uh, the charges against Jerry became very well known, and, and what the the mission of the second mile was. The, the mission was to take at risk kids and help them in their lives. And I, I got to tell you, John, it was just a phenomenal charity doing a tremendous amount of good for the people, not just of State College, but of Pennsylvania. I mean, there literally were 100,000-some kids that were touched by the second mile in a very effective way. And these graduates of the second mile, by the way, are now embarrassed that they were graduates of this program, and and unfortunately, they shouldn't be. And and it's one of the victims of the many victims that we don't know about that are real. You make a really interesting point there, and uh, you and I had talked about that uh, in in our private conversations previously, and something that I had never fully appreciated. But but because of this scandal, quote unquote scandal, there are thousands and thousands of of these kids who went through the second mile program who now must view their experience, which they previously viewed as a positive now as a traumatic experience because of what they've been told happened with Jerry Sandusky, right? I know for a fact, John, some of them had to defend themselves that they had not been ravished by Jerry. I mean, they had to go on the defense and prove that they hadn't been molested. You imagine that when you're 15, 16-year-old boy and, and you're getting into those kind of conversations. That's horrible, and, and it has traumatic effects. Never spoken about never spoke about. And I tell you what else is not spoken about. I continue to be skewered by people in social media about failing to report Jerry as a pedophile. And, and that continues unabated. My, my children, my grandchildren, have all had that impact because we're in a small community that, you know, your grandfather didn't do what he should have done. And not, it's a big deal. I sure heck wish it has. It's not happening, but it does, it is happening. And to be clear, I mean, we're going to get into the details. But to be clear, you have never had any evidence that was put in front of you that Jerry Sandusky was really a pedophile, correct? Never had any evidence, and, and rightly, people would say that given they believe Jerry was a pedophile the group that had to know that he was would be the second mile because we spent so much time with him. Penn State, not so much. So if Penn State is guilty, the second mile de facto has to be guilty. 
Let me let me stop you there because, and this is something I, I mentioned in in the previous episode in this podcast. But this has really driven me of all the things in this story that have driven me crazy. This one is in the top ten, and I know you can appreciate. <laughs> I, I know you can appreciate it uh, probably better than anyone. But there's a whole group of Penn State people who, who bizarrely think that the way to absolve Penn State and Joe Paterno of guilt here is to pin it all on the second mile. And I've always thought, well, first of all, that's idiotic because you guys all knew each other very well. And and the only logical way to a Penn State cover-up is if somehow there was a second mile cover-up, but that in reality, the Penn State people ought to be saying, wait a minute, there, there was no second mile cover-up because there wasn't anything to cover up, and therefore there was no Penn State cover-up. What, what, what is your take on that? All that logic follows directly, but I must remind you, John, so there's no revisionist history here that you thought the second mile was guilty when we first spoke. And you and I crossed swords on that subject. And it wasn't until sometime later that when you realized that Joe Paterno didn't know anything, Jerry Sandusky wasn't guilty, and therefore it followed that the second mile wasn't guilty of anything. So you've come full cycle, too, faster than I did as it related to Jerry's guilt but certainly full cycle. Well, uh, and this is a common theme of our podcast. I've crossed swords with almost everybody we've interviewed on this <laughs> podcast and you and you are definitely one of them, but but let's so since you since you bring up since you bring up the evolution of of my thought and and your thought. Let's go through that because I find your story and Liz, I think you're going to agree with this to be fascinating because here's a guy who was literally right there at the heart of all of this. And he has gone uh, uh, through an incredible evolution of thought as to what really happened here. So, so Bruce, I want to I want to take you back to uh, when the grand jury investigation begins. Uh, wh- when do you first become knowledgeable that there is an investigation of Jerry Sandusky for being a pedophile? Well, I was told by Jerry that there was one guy that who was totally incredible that was uh, blaming him to do all kinds of manner of evil. And Jerry thought the more he was accusing him, the weaker his case was getting. And he said, who should I retain for legal counsel? It was Bruce Heim who recommended Joe Amendola. Joe Amendola, a local uh, defense attorney, had the respect of the courts. And this was a small case, and it wasn't. It hadn't blown up to that which it turned out to be. And had Jerry come back to me at any time after the blow-up, I would have said, Jerry, you need to get different counsel. He's a one-man band, and this is a thing for a huge law firm with a great, great deal of bandwidth, and you don't have that in, in Joe. So Bruce. I was the guy who recommended Joe, and of course Joe has turned out to be vilified for his poor representation of Jerry, and it was just overwhelming to him. People forget he, he was a sole practitioner. He not only had the Jerry Sandusky case, he probably had five, six, seven other cases he was working on to feed his family. Uh, he hey, just, Bruce, he can, I, can I stop you? So he had Jerry's case, plus a bunch of other things he had to deal with. And the guy's a bright guy, and he's a nice guy. He just was in over his head, as most local attorneys would have been. Bruce, uh, you know, I, I, wa- I wanted to stop you and take you back. And we've talked, I've talked a lot about uh, why is Joe Amendola not capable of this. And you explained a lot about that. But I want to take you back. What was it you just started with? You said Jerry was accused of something. What was it you said? Because it wasn't clear to me. The Aaron Fisher he, he was allegation. accused by a young man in Lock Haven of doing improper things uh, 
to him. When did that happen? And, Where's the, what's the timeline? I'm telling you, now you're talking to an old man who doesn't remember what he had for breakfast yesterday. It was, it was late 2008. So I am not really good okay. with telling you when, it was when late, things happened. It was, okay, it was so, 2008. Late right. 2008. I thought it was before the grand jury indictment. So huh? you knew this. This is, oh, I yeah, think, yeah, what yeah, caused the problem. The grand jury indictment. Yeah, the this grand like, yeah. jury indictment happened in, I think, 11. And and it was it came to my attention that the indictment uh, when I on my 70th birthday party when I had about 100 people in my home and one of the board members came up to me after we had this kind of ceremony and said uh, did you hear about the presentment from the grand jury and I said no and he said there are eight kids that are saying jury molested them I almost threw up I mean it was just a almost a violent physical reaction to hearing that information. And, and at that point, because I heard there were eight that did that, I'm thinking, jury's guilty. I mean, how, you know, one, he didn't tell me about seven other people. Why wouldn't he tell me unless he was hiding something? So I, and, and then when I had a chance to read the presentment, I saw that there was a janitor who had a, had accused him of molesting a kid in the shower, and that janitor didn't have a dog in the hunt. I mean, he had no money to get from this. He had nothing to get other than telling the truth. So then I was totally convinced that jury was guilty. All right. Now, Bruce, we, we jumped a little bit ahead of where I wanted to go, but that was really an important context here. But let's go back in time just a little bit as we as we get your evolution. So so you know about the Aaron Fisher story. You know about the investigation. You advise him to hire Joe Mandola, which you now, I, I assume, regret because you, I think. No, I don't. No, no, I don't, John. I, I regret that after this thing exploded, that Jerry didn't come to me and say, should I keep Amendola? Because at that moment, I would said, no, right. you need to get had a big league attorney who has bandwidth, and, and Joe doesn't have that. Right, and, and okay, and, and I think that's important uh, as well for context because when, in what you thought Jerry was dealing with at the time, Joe made sense. But once it blows up, you realize, oh my gosh, this is way out of his league, and Jerry doesn't seem to understand that. But but you you would agree, Bruce? I think that part of and this is a constant theme in this. Part of what's working against Jerry is Jerry knows he's innocent, and Jerry is very naive, correct? Incredibly naive. I mean, Jerry is a wonderful soul, a wonderful human being, and inspired a lot of people, to include me, to want to help kids. I mean, Jerry was different. I mean, different to the point that we would have a fundraiser or a cocktail party where kids would be present. And Jerry wouldn't be with the adults. He'd be playing with the kids. I mean, it was almost bizarre because he almost he had an obligation to meet with the people who were giving them money, and he chose not to. He chose to play with the kids. So he he was a, a, a different species, and his love for the kids is was real. I mean, his care for kids was real. And of course, and, and he passed that on to, to a lot of people, to include me. But, of course, once the allegations come out publicly, what the stories you, you just described get perceived very, very differently through the lens of, oh, my gosh, he's a predator, he's a pedophile, and what was positive then becomes negative. But, again, I, I want to go back in time just, just a little bit Let's here. Let's stop right there, John. Okay. The other part of what you just said is significant. 
because they were able to publish the presentment because it was a Penn State-related event, and you can't do that with an individual. But they, they published it. It polluted me. I thought this friend of mine was a pedophile, and I knew him really well. How about the guy on the street who would end up being in the jury? What the heck would they think? Right. They had to believe we had a pedophile in our midst. Right. And it wasn't for another year or so that I, that I came to the realization that Jerry wasn't guilty. So this story first becomes generally publicly known well before Paterno's uh, uh, um, firing and Spaniards firing. It was earlier in 2011, March of 2011. Sarah Ganim comes out with an article saying that there's this grand jury investigation. And, and so, but you're still believing that Jerry is innocent. You know him. And in fact, you believe so strongly in his innocence that you are proactively trying to get Jerry into the to the public sphere. You take him golfing at a very exclusive resort in the State College area, and you not only take him golfing, you take him golfing with two other people who would end up becoming critical in this story. And this is in the summer of 2011. Ryan McCumbie, who would end up being a Penn State board member after the, the crap hits the fan. And Alan Myers, who would later become known as victim number two, the so-called boy in the McQuarrie episode. Tell us about that golfing episode in the summer of 2011, that foursome that really tells us so much about what really did and did not happen in this case. Well, I want to absolve uh, Ryan McCombie of a anything as relates to this. He, he's a Navy SEAL, a dear friend of mine whose son died flying off the Eisenhower years ago. Uh, but he, he really didn't know anything about Alan Myers or about Jerry. Alan Myers revered Jerry. Alan Myers, when it was his senior night in football, had Jerry walk him across the field. Alan Myers came for the funeral of Jerry's mother. Alan, and he had to do that by leaving the Marine Corps and getting a pass. Uh, Alan, Alan Myers had Jerry speak at his graduation. I mean, this is somebody who revered Jerry Sandusky. And it was obvious when we play golf how much he respected him. Alan Myers wasn't a very good golfer, nor was Jerry. Come to think of it, nor am I. <laughs> but we had a good time, and we laughed and everything else. Now, normally after golf, I go have a beer. But with Jerry, Jerry doesn't drink. So we shook hands, said goodbye, and that was the end of the round. But you don't there, – obviously, there's nothing in retrospect that uh, makes you think that somehow, some way, uh, Alan Myers may have been abused and, and under the control of Jerry Sandusky for all those years. God, no, John. I mean, there, I mean you – the – it wasn't fawning. It was just total respect and caring that I saw from Alan Myers. If someone it, it wasn't just that time. We'd, we'd golf a couple times, and it was the same both times. If he, some, he, he really thought the world of Jerry, as evidenced by what he did with Jerry on other occasions. So if someone had told you after that particular golf event or, or in, in this time period that um, Jerry was going to uh, be arrested for child molestation, that he, he would be accused by a, a, a Penn State assistant coach of raping a boy in a shower, and that that boy would be uh, Alan Myers, and that Alan Myers would not testify at Jerry's trial, but would end up collecting uh, almost $7 million 
after that trial by by claiming to Penn State to be uh, that victim, even after having said to Joe Mandola's investigators that no way, no how, that didn't happen. Mike McQuarrie doesn't know what he's talking about. What would you have said if someone had, had put that forward, that scenario to you back in the summer of 2011? I, I, I would have been incredulous. I mean, that that would have happened given the nature of the relationship and what Jerry had done for this young man. And it went beyond just him asking Jerry to do things. They spent quite a bit of time together, and, and Jerry was nurturing. I mean, he was directive in their lives. He, he got on top of people for not doing their homework. He got top of them for being late for school or not being or being truant. I mean, he, he was acting as a surrogate father for a ton of young men. And and it was all very very productive, and he had a specially tight relationship with Alan Myers. Alan Myers, uh, if, if there was a hell, he's going there. I mean that this guy turned his back on Jerry Sandusky is just unbelievable. And I had I hired a PI uh, to go find him, and he found him outside of Lock Haven where he was going to college, and he knocked on his door, and this is what the PI told me, that he opened the door and he said, I'm here to talk to you about Jerry Sandusky and what went on with him. And he said, I wrote what I wanted to write about that, and I don't want to talk to you. And what I said and what I wrote was correct. And then he slammed the door in my PI's face. Why would he do? Why would Alan Myers, if you were around him a little bit of time, why would he do something like that? Why would he make up a story? You mean the affidavit that he wrote? Any? Why would he turn on Jerry and, and tell a story if it wasn't? Why would he fabricate? Because I, I understand that his mother worked for Shubin. Jack, John, is that right? That is actually correct. In fact, Jerry has a, a memory of dropping off Alan Myers at Shubin's offices because uh, his mom worked there, and Shubin effectively. Uh, I don't. I don't know for sure what how the connection was made, but Shubin was recruiting uh, accusers at the time. And it's my very strong opinion that Alan Myers basically made a deal with Shubin. I'm not going to testify against Jerry. I'm not going to have blood on my hands. But if he goes down, uh, I'm you know I'm happy to take the money. And and that's exactly. Uh, one... I take a different read on that. Okay. I think he would be, he would have been willing to, to testify. Shubin didn't want him because the affidavit was in the hands of the defense, and, and it would have absolutely taken his credibility away from him if he testified. So, so in, in I, a normal I, I Bruce, in, in a normal case, we can't say it was out of goodness of Alan Myers' heart. I think Shubin realized he would be a bad person to put in the witness stand. Uh, in a normal case, you would be right, but this is not I'm a, always right, John. Uh, <laughs> but it, but this is, as you well know, Bruce, this is not a normal case. Um, so I want to go back to Alan because uh, you have a, a, an interesting insight in this. Not only do you know Alan Myers personally, and you just said that if there's a hell, he's going there. You're a West Point guy. And I know, you know, I'm having gone to Army Navy games my whole life in Philadelphia as a kid. I know how incredibly important that is to you. In fact, uh, you know, we're we're scheduling this interview around a, an Army football <laughs> game. Uh, and and Alan Myers, uh, when this all goes down, is a sergeant in the Marine Corps, and yep. and he's not the only one who betrayed Jerry, who has a military background, but. But he might be the most dramatic example because he was so close to Jerry. 
because he was a sergeant in the Marine Corps and because of what that's supposed to mean. Tell us what what your reaction, Bruce, as a West Point guy is to someone who is a sergeant in the Marine Corps doing to Jerry what Alan Myers did. There's a certain amount of character that goes along with the elite fighting forces of our country. And not that there aren't some bad people among them, but generally you can say that people who are SEALs, Army Rangers, Marine Corps people are people of character that love their country, uh, believe in telling the truth, and and duty on our country is a motto they live by. So I I would say he, he had that going for him. Uh, the, the guy, according to, to my PI, uh, is an alcoholic, and I'm not saying he is. I'm just telling you what my PI told me, that he'd been re- arrested for a DUI a couple times, and he he was a denizen in the local bars, and and, and so I, I don't think he was a heavy drinker when I first knew him. I think this has devolved because of what he did with Jerry. May not be true, but it could be. Well, he has. He's. We know of at least two DUI arrests, and yes, Andrew Shubin was his attorney on on those DUIs. Uh, although some of them might have been a couple of them, I think they may have been expunged at this point because he's a lot of, a lot of money, and that can that can happen uh, now in this day and age. But but um, but as far as as uh, Alan and his Marine Corps background, you know, you've mentioned your your PI, a guy by the name of Ken Cummings who I've dealt with quite a bit. And in fact, Ken even told Alan that he was there for, for me, not for you, um, for, 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 for whatever reason. I have been, I've been to the same house, and Alan Myers flies the Marine Corps flag off his balcony, which I found to be really repugnant. Uh, Shame and, on him. Yeah. Uh, um, okay, so, so... Well, it gives him credibility to fly that flag. So the general public, not you that's so close to it, Bruce, but the general public sees a Marine... And we're inundated constantly with, you know, to honor our Marines, to thank our Marines, to be grateful for our servicemen. And so if he designates himself that, I think that he automatically with the public like you do, because you're a former military, right, get a certain amount of respect. So that's a big thing to try to I'm cut not through. Sure I get any respect at all. Remember, I'm the guy that was going to flip the coin in the Army Penn State football game. I'll give it to you, Bruce. A couple years ago, and I was called up by the president of Penn State, Barron, saying to me that uh, we would appreciate if you would step down because you, uh, because of your association with the Second Mile. We've had tremendous pushback about you flipping the coin, and I said. Um, Dr. Barron, I didn't ask to flip the coin. I was selected, and I was selected because I went to Penn State, got my MBA, and I have an undergraduate degree from West Point, and I played football at West Point, and I'm a Vietnam vet, and the Vietnam vets were being honored that day. And I said, I was selected by a committee, and I was proud to be able to do that, but I am not going to step down. You're going to have to fire me from this. He said, well, you just get somebody, name somebody who was a wounded vet. So I was wounded. I mean, this has nothing to do with being wounded. It has to do with what is right. And I I find this to be obnoxious. So fire me and tell the press you had to fire me because I wouldn't step down. So I got fired. <laughs> and that whole episode was emblematic of this whole case, is that here, here you are, 
uh, you're not even able to flip a coin that you got chosen to flip at an Army Penn State football game because people went bananas uh, thanks to your association with the second mile, having no clue about the facts, no clue about you or, or even what really happened in the Jerry Sandusky case because we now live in a world where perception is everything, everything is politically correct, and everything about this case is toxic. All right, so, so Bruce, it wasn't just that, that golf tournament that I found, or not golf tournament, but the golf uh, outing with Alan Meyer before Jerry's arrest that I found interesting. I also found it very fascinating that just before uh, this whole thing breaks wide open nationally, uh, I believe it was at your home, you were hosting an Easter Seals uh, charity event. And, yes. and And one of the people there with whom you took a photograph, and the photograph can still be found on Google, at least last time I <laughs> checked. With Tim Curley. With Tim Curley. So, so yeah, here, he's so a here, wonderful human being. Right, so, so, so I want to I want to take people through the absurdity of this cover up uh, theory involving the second mile. That here you are. This is after the Sarah Ganim article. The grand jury investigation is well known. You know, if in fact it's true, anything close to true, you all know that Jerry is about to go down, and this whole thing is going to explode. And here, Tim Curley and you are at your house at an Easter Seals charity event, taking photographs that are publicly disseminated. What kind of a cover up? theory is that, Bruce? Yeah, there, here you go. Tim and I were hiding things. I've known Tim since he, was, since he played football at State College High School. He is a you know, wonderful human being who, who absolutely has been destroyed by this whole thing. I mean, it's just so, so, so wrong. Hey, Bruce, could, the thing that people get stuck on, and if you could take us back and help us understand this, is that you and the rest of the Second Mile, people who work there, people on the board at the Second Mile, whatever it would be, knew before that presentment. So the presentment's in 2011, but you knew as long ago as 20, 2008 that Jerry Sandusky was under investigation, and you kept your mouth shut, and therefore, Jerry, you let Jerry but, Sandusky but, continue I, I, I don't on. Think that's Explain correct, that. The, his 1997. Uh, bump in with the law as related to molesting a child, potentially molesting a child where he was exonerated. That never was shared with the second mile, so we had no idea that had happened. The only thing that we knew that had happened that he shared with us was what was going on with Fisher, and that was brought to the board's attention. And the board was, I remember the board meeting, it, it, you could have heard a pin drop when this was revealed. And people were in a state of shock. Did, uh, so, did, so that, and, and, again, I can't tell you what the date was, but it, it was before he was indicted. And, and then we had the presentment come out, came out, polluted the, the whole jury pool. And, of course, it polluted the Second Mile board. And, I mean, they, they, they then were ashamed of their service to, to children. The kids were embarrassed that they had been involved with the programs of the Second Mile. And, and the donors, I had I had several donors who my management firm managed their properties, who fired my firm uh, as a result of what happened. I mean, it, 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 there was a lot of blood that dripped uh, out of this that is totally unreported, but still lingers. It still lingers. Bruce, when... When Jerry tells the Second Mile board that he's under investigation about the Aaron Fisher situation, and you said you could hear a pin drop, did the did the board believe that Jerry might actually be a pedophile, or were they uncertain? I mean, what was your sense of the the reaction to that? Well, that's a hell of a good question from you, John. But that's a question about sensitivity. 
and, and you've accused of being not sensitive, but you are apparently. Uh, there were those who did not believe him. I know that because people said, you know, that the police don't get involved unless there's a problem. You know, where there's smoke, there indeed is fire. So there were those who didn't believe him. When Jerry was leaving, I was asked by Jack Rakovic, the president of the second, or the executive director of the second mile, to escort him out of the meeting, and I did, which was, according to Jack, a show that I was on his side. So I did that. And did, I, I, did, I didn't believe he was guilty at that point. Did Jack? No, Jack thought he was, you know, no, he didn't think that at all. Can, but what kind I mean, of... The, the, other, the other thing, Liz, which you, you have to know, yeah. do you know how deeply the second mile was investigated? We're a small organization, and let me tell you who investigated us. The Post Office Department, the State Attorney General, the FBI, the U.S. Attorney, and State Police. They and, all and nothing ever happened. The second mile. They all investigated me. My son, I had two, two children that are attorneys. They, he said, Bruce, it's likely your phone's being tapped. I was under investigation for two years. I was brought in for hours of grilling, and I was brought in by the last grilling I had was with these five groups, and they brought me in for four hours. During that four hours, and by the way, they were all represented by legal counsel. This wasn't just investigators. These were attorneys. I had the attorneys for the second mile who were not allowed to talk, and I could refer to them if I had to, or if they thought I was getting in trouble, they could stop me, but they weren't allowed to speak. So anyway, four hours, they never, I never asked for help, and they never came to help me. At the end of the four hours, John, they, the FBI uh, inquisitor said, we have a mandatory series of questions we have to ask you. And the first one was, have you ever harmed anybody? And I said, yes, I have. Now, at that point, everyone was packing up their things ready to go. And when I said I had harmed somebody, it was like everyone looked up. And he said, well, who do you harm? And I said, I don't know. Then how can you say you harmed them? And I said, because I know I did. I killed them. And boy, then it was like unbelievable. And they said, well, how don't you know who you killed? I said, because I fought in Vietnam, and I was a platoon leader in a rifle platoon, and we shot a lot of people, and I saw them go down. I said, that's how I know. I said, I'd like to have everyone raise a hand here if you fought for your country. I said, I see no hands, and I'm leaving this meeting. And I come walked out. And listen to this. Every one of those guys followed me out apologizing. They knew that I didn't do anything wrong. They knew the second mile didn't do anything wrong. They were just doing the job as they saw they had to do it. But the second mile is not guilty of a thing. But, Bruce, let me take know. you back to that for a second. Because you, the second mile is an organization for at-risk kids, at-risk boys. So, and, girl, and, and girls. And girls. And okay. Girls. Okay. Yeah. So... In my mind, there has to be something where the second mile must understand with at-risk, there's going to be a lot of problems. These kids are going to come from homes where there's a lot of problems. At what point does the second mile board just accept that something is true without 
you know, we're dealing with at-risk kids. This really, we really need to investigate this and take a step back and say the right things publicly. How come that didn't go on? Well, you know, good question. They, they first of all, they, they, there were protocols up the rear end that we had to comport with when you were dealing with the kids. I mean, every one of us had a background, who, who were on the board, had a background check by the state police. And that was every year uh, to make sure there was no one with any kind of a background that should not be around children. Secondly, when we were with kids and had to transport them places, we had to have a second adult with us. We just couldn't go alone with a child someplace. I mean, there there were protocols and there was oversight of all activities in, in a very thoughtful way. I, I mean, I never, I never, I thought it was a, just a pain in the butt to do some of those things, but it turns out they were right. And we were a good organization doing the right thing. Bruce, I I think you make a really interesting and important point that it's incredibly obvious that most people just have never bothered to think about it. If this was all real, if this story was all real, all sorts of people at the second mile not only would have been, you know, indicted and arrested, they would have been, uh, you know, convicted, but none of that has come close to happening. There's never been any charges against anybody at the second mile. And that doesn't make any sense to me in the larger uh, scheme of things if, if, if there really was this 40-year pedophile that, that people were covering up for, uh, both at, at Penn State and obviously Second Mile would have been even more intricately involved in that than Penn State, especially once Jerry has retired from Penn State. But, but you, we mentioned the name Jack Rakovich, who is the, the I guess, the president of the Second Mile, the guy who's... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, you know, and he's, still being, he's still being attacked. I mean, he's, he, he has a suit pending against him. By whom? I, I mean, the, the guy has this has not left him. It's well, unbelievable. Well, he, know, years he, later, he's still under a cloud. Well, he and yes, publicly he, he gets all sorts of criticism. Uh, you know, there's been so much made of of a statement that he apparently made uh, when when these the allegations of Jerry uh, showering inappropriately with kids came to to his attention that he apparently uh, either asked or told Jerry, "Hey, can't, can't you wear swim trunks?" Uh, and that somehow this is perceived in the light of all the allegations as uh, they're enabling Jerry, that they don't even think that this is a big deal. When when I can actually, at the time, I can understand exactly why someone might have made that suggestion. What what, what do you, give us a sense of who Jack is. Well, and, well, well let, 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 let me clear that up, because okay. I think I can clear it up completely. Okay. Jack Brickovich came to me, um, Again, somewhere after 2000, I can't tell you the date, um, and said, Bruce, Tim Curley came to me and told me that Jerry Sandusky was seen showering in a Penn State shower with a young person. And we at Penn State think that he should stop doing that and that you should let him know that he should stop doing that. Not that he did anything wrong, because we investigated it. So Jack came to me. I was one of the senior people on the board, and I was like the third board member he came to. And he said, Bruce, Tim Curley came to me, told me what I just got through telling you, and he said they investigated, nothing untoward had happened. Uh, should I bring this to the board? And I, I said, Jack, you have to know that I worked out in the Penn State locker room for five years. And during those five years, Jerry 
at least a dozen times, was in the gang shower, the football player's shower, with kids taking a shower after they worked out. So every Penn State player during that five-year period of time had seen it countless times. Every coach had seen it countless times. Every trainer on that thing, except for the women, had seen it countless times. And I'm sure a bunch of the AD staff had seen him doing that countless times. No, I, I don't think we need to report it. I said, as a matter of fact, in the YMCA now, kids shower with old adults. And incredibly, if you have a daughter that's five years old or younger, she's allowed to come in the man shower. I mean, I'm not modest, John, but i got to tell you, if a five-year-old girl came into the shower when I was there, I would sprint out of that place. Right. I mean, but so I said, no, no, this is not a moment that should be shared with the board because there's nothing to share. This has been ongoing, and they ask it to stop, and we should have it be stopped. And in my be- mind, at that point, having spoken to three board members, senior board members, Jack Rakovitz had told the board de facto that he had been told that by by Tim Curley, and he he had done his duty as the board president. Jack Rakovitz got fired by the board in a 30-to-1 vote that he should be fired because he failed to tell the board about that. I don't need to tell you who the one person was. Yeah, you. Vote. Yes. Yeah, and what happened to the other two? They turned. <laughs> They didn't remember they were told that. Yeah, well, everybody's hurting themselves in these situations. Right, okay. Right, now, uh, Bruce, um, I, all right. Now, what you, you said a, a bunch of important things there, but um, uh, but to be very clear for those that may have missed it, that entire episode that you're describing is the McQuarrie Alan Myers circumstance. That's why Tim Curley goes to Jack Rakovich and says, "Hey, uh, Jerry was seen in a shower," and it's incredibly important that even though it's it's several. Uh, you know, it's a whisper down the lane a little bit because it's it's Tim to Jack to you, but you guys are smart people and, you know, you're competent. So I don't think that the, the, the translation got messed up very much. We're not talking about a sexual assault. We're talking about taking a shower with a boy, right? I mean, we're not. There's That's exactly right. And that it was investigated by Penn State. And, and John, I'm not taking on Tim Curley and his word, but I don't think there was an investigation. Well, what I think happened was that Jerry tells Tim, hey, would you like to talk to Alan Myers? And Tim becomes so convinced that this is a nothing burger that he doesn't want to bother the kid and he doesn't call Alan Myers. And if that and and then I'm not criticizing Tim because I understand why he did it at the time. But you've already mentioned that Tim has been crushed by this. And I, I believe that Tim feels a lot of guilt over not having called Alan Myers, because if he had called Alan Myers, none of this would have happened, in my opinion. But I want to go back to something else, though. That's possible, John, but there was really, really important. Over five years, lots of other players, coaches, blah, 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 saw uh, Jerry Sandusky in the showers with kids. Mm -hmm. That this was witnessed over and over again. That Mike McQuarrie didn't witness something that that there was, let's assuming there was no sexual assault. Right. Right? Right? That's what you're saying to us, that, that this is something that everybody saw. Right, and there was some testimony to that at trial, but by the time the trial comes around, Bruce, as you've already implied, everyone is so intimidated that no one wants to mention it because otherwise they're going to get caught up in the, the alleged cover-up theory, right? Absolutely. Yeah. I, I mean, the, the reason I, I really wanted 
to come on and talk to you guys. John, it wasn't because you asked me, because it would be my only opportunity to try to vindicate the second mile. And so you've given me that opportunity. I really appreciate well, it. Well, let's. There's a few few more things I want to get to, though. I mean, let's. With regard to Jack, just to be clear, you know, I've never spoken to Jack, um, but it's my understanding that to this day, Jack still believes that Jerry Sandusky is innocent. Is that correct? No, Jack believes that it's highly unlikely he committed sexual offenses against children. Okay. I mean, there, there's a lot of reasons for that. Impotence is one of them. Uh, the, the other thing is just the nature of Jerry, that it does seem unlikely. Okay. But that he would have done inappropriate things, like showering with a kid at night. And that was one of the things, too, I will okay, but that's not. But, but that's not criminal. Yeah. Hold on We a second. were not told that the showery incident happened in the evening. All the times I saw a jury in the shower was daylight hours. This was at night. I, I don't care what you say. That that perception of that is not good. Sure. And 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 Jack thinks it's bad. Okay, so, but, but hold on a second. To be to be clear, when I said guilty, I'm talking about the, the charges against him criminally. He doesn't believe he's guilty of the charges against him criminally, correct? I don't think he does think that. Right. So he so he knows. But he thinks he might, he is guilty of other things that. Border on pedophilia. Really? What? Well, when you shower with a kid and wash his back at nine o'clock at night, um, that's inappropriate. I, I'm sorry, and and I have seventeen grandkids. So. Oh yeah, that's what everyone <laughs> thinks, and so they think they smell smoke. There's a fire. You know that that for everyone is a problem. I have a problem with it too. Most moms have a problem with it as well. It's like, what are you doing? With okay, the but, kid? but let's be yeah. clear. Let's. I want to make this very clear, Bruce. There's a massive difference. I think, and I, and I think we're talking about semantics here between something that is inappropriate, which we all agree, especially in in today's under today's rules. And Jerry, I think, was working on an antiquated uh, sense of rules. Uh, partially because of his own personal background, but there's a massive, yes. but there's but there's a massive difference between between something that's inappropriate and something that's criminal with regard to child sex abuse. I mean, and so um, you know, I, I have no problem with Jack believing that Jerry did something inappropriate, even highly inappropriate. But the uh, uh, but I want to make it clear that Jack does not believe that he ever uh, directly sexually assaulted any of these children. Uh, and 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 so is that clear? Is is, is that? Well, well, let, let me say this. I I don't want to speak for Jack. Jack never indicated to me that he thought Jerry was guilty of that. Okay. Doesn't mean he didn't think that. It doesn't mean he never said to me that he thinks that. Okay. He did say to me that he thought he did inappropriate things. And I think when he said that, if he thought he had done sexual things, he probably would have said that. Okay. But I, I don't want to speak for Jack. Jack's Jack's a, a bright, brilliant uh, psychologist. I mean, he, he's just a heck of a guy and, and had devoted his life to this and has had a restart from ground zero because his whole life was built around the second mile. And the pain his, he's suffered continues. Right. I mean, he's being sued or he's been under threat of suit uh, by Penn State uh, for a lot of money. I mean, more money than he has. Can I ask you this? Was Jerry Sandusky stubborn? It, it sounds like he was told more than once not to shower with kids, and he still did it, and therefore put not only himself at risk, everybody at risk, all of you at risk. And are you angry at him for that? 
I was angry that he didn't tell us about the 90. I wasn't angry. I was upset that he didn't tell us about the 97 incident. I mean, mean, that's something clearly. You mean, just to be clear, molesting a kid and you're in a you're you're in a child's charity. You you you've made a huge blunder and and you have really turned your back on those people who had faith in you. So I I find a lot of fault with Jerry for that. And I, I have been hurt not only financially, but, but personally at, at many, many levels, as have my family. So, so to say that I, I, I'm happy with Jerry, with everything he did, wouldn't be true. But what is true is that my heart goes out to him and his family for the, the unbelievable pain and suffering he has been given for doing nothing wrong legally. All right. right. So let's go back again to the timeline. And uh, so Jerry gets arrested. You're shocked. You say you almost got physically ill. This this is the biggest thing that's ever happened in state college. Penn State uh, fires Joe Paterno and Graham Spanier, and Tim Curley and Gary Schultz are, are indicted. These are all people you know. These are all people you respect. Uh, your world is collapsing. Uh, just give us a sense of, of the, the, you know, how you responded and how this impacted your life. Uh, in that November of 2011 period? Well, it impacted me because of Joe Baterno. Joe Baterno recruited me to play football at Penn State, and he and I were partners in real estate. And we sat on two stock exchange boards together. Uh, we, we socialized together. My, my kids uh, socialized with his kids, and my grandkids date his great-grandkids. So there, there was a huge relationship there and, and a lot of respect on my part for Joe. Uh, that that was a devastating thing to the Hine family in a bunch of generations. And Sue remains a good friend of ours, Sue Paterno, and she she lives this thing every day of her life, and I just feel so horrible for her. I had given, and this is the least of the pain, probably a couple million dollars to the second mile. But more than that, I had given my heart and soul and I had run a program where we dealt with special needs kids, and we worked out with them, and we we set goals for them, and we taught them grit. And that program uh, was extremely successful, and I formed dozens of relationships with children that I mentored that continue to this day. Uh, and I've seen the embarrassment of hurting those kids. So that, that was very hurtful to me. And that, that those relationships being broken or, or destroyed was hurtful. Uh, I was spending maybe 10 hours a week working for the second mile, either in development or with technical things, administrative things that I thought I could be useful in helping. I, I also gave them the building where they were, they were in residence and I, we were involved with managing the building for them. So, so there, there was this incredible number of things. My children acted as mentors in my program. So they had kids that they were dealing with that they, they were upset about. I mean, it, it, it went long and deep and, and, and continues to this day. Jerry Sandusky is my pen pal. We, we write each other uh, once a week. My, my letters are fulsome because I lead a fairly normal life for an old man. 
Jerry doesn't have much to talk about because he's in a prison. And, and, and you can see him searching for things to say uh, when he writes his letter. And he writes on the tablet, and, and he, he writes on this one side of the tablet. And, and then half of what he writes is responding to what I wrote him about. His life has just been so changed and so unfortunate, and, and that he's still alive is almost amazing, because he, he has been for seven years in solitary confinement. And stir-crazy is a term that has been evolved from people being stir-crazy and dying. And Jerry's still alive and very active in the prison community helping other people. So it's 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 hurt. There's no no two ways about it. Great stuff, Bruce. We're, we got, we're gonna have a few more questions. There's this noise in the background, uh, Bruce. Is is there somebody talking near you or? Yeah, it's it, it's my son who can't hear what we're saying, huh. uh, and I and my wife. Okay. Who's. Uh, whose sister just died okay, I'm of sorry. pancreatic cancer, oh, I'm sorry. and we just got home okay. a couple days ago. Okay, all right. I, we'll, we'll deal with it. No worries. Um, okay, so uh, in our in our few minutes that we have here, there are a couple more really important points that we need to get to. So one of the things that I'm seeing here that even I hadn't fully comprehended in this narrative as we get towards uh, Jerry's trial uh, that I think is really important for this story is that when the crap hits the fan in November 2011, even you, as you've already stated, you start to believe Jerry is guilty. You, um, uh, you be- essentially become uh, not just uh, uh, crushed personally, uh, but you're sidelined from this case. Jerry loses, potentially, in a, in a rational world, he loses an incredibly important advocate. Here you are, a well-known, respected guy with a lot of money, and big balls, uh, and so and, and and I mean, and then that was in, in great uh, in, in short supply uh, in state college in yeah. in its time period. So here you could have been somebody that would have been incredibly instrumental, you know, potentially in finding a real legal team that was up to this kind of challenge, uh, speaking publicly, saying, "Hold on, people, uh, you know, let's let's wait till the facts are, are known." But you're sidelined. Uh, do you do you see where I'm going with there? That, that, that oh yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. I I, I sometimes had moments of guilt. Um, as a matter of fact, uh, every year I, we pick up Dottie Stendesky to go caroling. Uh, we've done that for years now. I mean, and, and that's just an admission to how guilty I feel about abandoning her for a number of years because I did. All right. So you. Believe- I, I mean, and I yes, I could have been. Not only could I have personally, financially, been very helpful. I could have rallied three or four other people and convinced them of what I was convinced of and gotten more money into it. Uh, I, I could have, I think, been helpful in selecting what would be an appropriate law firm, not just a single sole practitioner, right. to defend him. And that would have made all the difference in the world. And so this is all part of the perfect storm, because in a normal case, you don't have this much publicity and this much toxicity surrounding it. But because Joe Paterno is fired and Graham Spanier is fired and Tim Curley and Gary Schultz are indicted, and this is the biggest news story in the country, if not the world, during this time period, and State College is a small town, now everybody's running for the hills. And even Bruce Heim is sidelined, and you become convinced he's guilty. And when he's convicted, are you? I'm assuming... Are you even paying that much attention to the trial? Are, are you believing? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I, I, 
I couldn't help but pay a lot of attention to it. And I, and I was emotional when I heard the conviction. And I'm not, I'm not given to much emotions, but I was then. But I, mean, are, I was devastated. And 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 did you but, did you buy the credibility of the verdict? Yes. Okay. And so, so in your mind, uh, you're, you're you're questioning everything you've ever done in this situation. You 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 believe that you got duped by Jerry. You're, you're feeling guilty. Uh, you believe you believe that he's guilty. Uh, this is the you know I'm assuming one of the worst things, that, if not the worst thing, that's ever happened in your life and the and the people around you. And then the the dust finally starts to settle, and you start to begin to have doubts about this case and this is about the time when when you and i start to interact well yeah i gotta tell you john and not to blow hot air up your skirt but the sandusky family the state college community and penn state should be eternally grateful to you for that which you have uncovered and the story that you've been able to bring out i agree i I I wish they would listen you and i aren't the greatest friends but i really truly admire that which you've done a great personal sacrifice that i understand so anyway, in my book, you're somewhat of a hero in this story, and I hope your your hard work is vindicated at some point. Well, I appreciate that, Bruce, and I know that you and I have, have battled, uh, and but but part of our battle has actually manifested itself in some good. And, and, and so this is where I'm heading with this story, because I find this to be an incredibly fascinating and important uh, aspect of this narrative. So, so you start to have doubts, and, and I'm, I become convinced that Jerry is likely, if not totally innocent. And you tell me, now correct me if I believe I have this all, my memory is very good, as you know. I know it is. All right, so, so here's what happens. So, um, Liz, I, I decide it's time to go back to Bruce Heim and try to convince Bruce that Jerry is actually innocent. And... Bruce is, at this point, open to that idea, but he's got one major problem, one major problem that he can't get around. Now, Bruce, do you remember what that problem was? It was Cole Hain. Well, no, no, no. It, 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 it was. Well, no, hold, well, hold on a second. I think, let's back up. You, you had been told that Ira Lupert had a tape of Jerry Sandusky abusing a boy. Do you remember this? I, I remember meeting with Ira Lupert, and first of all, to, to reveal everything, Ira and I have been partners and close friends for a very long period of time. Ira Lupert has been a tremendous asset to Penn State his whole life. Uh, he not only wrestled with Penn State, he became a big philanthropic uh, giver to Penn State, and, and he has created what might be the finest wrestling program in, in the United States. Uh, he also became a leader of the board. He is the strongest, most powerful voice on the board. Uh, he he uh, has been a very good partner to me. And when he saw me in Starbucks, I I had to kind of take him on. I said, Ira, how can you keep on giving money to all these kids without a deep investigation? Because that's something you would do yourself. And he said, Bruce, if you would see... Those things I have seen, if you would hear those things I have heard, you'd be convinced that these kids had been harmed, and you would have made the same deals I made. And I said, Ira, that's good enough for me, and that was it. As to specifics that Ira talked to me about, I was held in confidence. And I, I'm, because we were on a podcast as opposed to you and I talking, John, I'm very reluctant to say more than that. 
All right. Well, I think we can still do the narrative here. So you, you, you told me that there was a piece of information that made it very, very difficult for you to get over the hurdle of believing that Jerry was innocent. Correct. You, you can verify that part, right? I mean, yeah, I told you about not remembering what I had for breakfast. At that date, I don't know where I was in this continuum of okay. well, thinking he, Jerry was guilty or not guilty. Right, I'm well, sorry, well, I just well, don't here, here's, here's, what, here's what happened uh, from my perspective. Uh, you told me that there was a piece of information that Ira uh, ha- had, and, and just to be clear, this was not something that Ira told you directly, according to what you told me. This was from another board member. And that uh, you, I was essentially tasked with proving that this piece of information did not exist. And I thought, my gosh, how in the world am I going to do that? So I decided to go right to Ira. And I engaged in an email exchange with Ira Lupert. And I got him on the record via email to acknowledge that this piece of information did, in fact, not exist. And I forwarded that to you. Do you recall that? John, I know you'll find this to be incredible, but I don't remember it. I mean, I, I like I have 91 investments, and I can't keep track of the damn things. I mean, I'm I'm old, and I have too much going on in my life. 17 grandkids. Wait till you have 17. <laughs> Well, I, I doubt that'll ever happen. But but look, so 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 look, Bruce. So so just to be clear about this, because this is an important point, and I'm I'm stunned that, that this is not ringing bells because I thought we just talked about this a couple of days ago. Um, so the the reality is that when I sent you the email from Ira denying the existence of this piece of information that you had been told about that that convinced you with 100% certitude that Jerry must be guilty because obviously Ira wouldn't be lying about this and, and these are people that you trusted and you know and they're your partners or whatever. It was at that moment then, then your eyes and my experience started to be fully open and now you were far more open to other information that was consistent with Jerry's innocence. That is... That's what happened. Uh, and John, you're a hell of a journalist, and uh, your words are not refreshing my memory, and I wish uh, they were. I mean, I have tremendous faith in, in your memory and your recall of uh, these events. But I just don't okay. recall that. All right. Well, I'll have to fo- re-forward you the emails because uh, <laughs> they exist. <laughs> so in your recollection, the, the eureka moment was realizing that the janitor story, which was a guy by the name of Jim Calhoun, had actually okay. been contradicted by Jim Calhoun himself on a recording saying three times that it was not Jerry Sandusky because that was the story that bothered you more than any other because you didn't see any any dog in this hunt for Jim Calhoun to lie, correct? That's exactly right. And so once you realized that information, which unfortunately was never brought up at Jerry's trial, and, and you got over some of the, the other concerns you had about the information that Ira Lupert was basing these settlements on, uh, then you became convinced that he is is innocent. Now, I want to make clear on, on the Ira Lupert situation. Here's a guy you have great respect for, your business partners with, your friends with, why do you think Ira has paid out $120 million plus to people who lied and were not actually a victim of Jerry Sandusky? He was giving marching orders to put this behind Penn State as quickly as he could. 
and, and he knew that there there was to be a, a a big price to pay for it to get the speed of settlement and to get it behind them. He was given those marching orders and he fulfilled them uh, as wrong as those marching orders were. And I think history will be very unkind to whoever made those decisions. Whoa, 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 whoa. Who made those decisions? Who gives a guy as powerful as Ira Lupert marching orders? President of the university. Not Graham Spanier, the guy who took over. No. So, Who's a friend of mine, too. <laughs> you're talking about Erickson? Yes. Okay. So a guy you know. Now, he's a friend of yours. Have you ever gone to him and asked him? Who are we talking about? No. Eric? What? No. And have you ever, have you, Bruce, have you ever or would you ever confront Ira Lupert um, with the fact that you now believe Jerry to be innocent? Has, has, that, has that conversation ever happened? You know, when we get together, we talk about the wrestling team, and I... I I don't think I ever told him that I felt that way. I mean, Ira Lubert was part of the group that that fired Joe Paterno and, and, and did it in a very unmanly way. They did it over the telephone. They didn't go look him right square in the eye and tell him. And he said he will always regret that that action. But there were people on the board who told bad stories, which were true, by the way, about how Joe was handling players on the team, and this poisoned the the board well, as their relationship was with with Joe Paterno. And there were three or four board members who really disliked Joe, and were very loud during the meeting where he decided he had to be fired. So I'm I'm kind of amazed that you this has never come up in your conversations with Ira Lupert. Um, will it ever come up in the future in a conversation? No, it hasn't. I mean, he, I mean he's he's been out of my house. Uh, I've been in his office. We we've been on the telephone a bunch. I wished him happy Hanukkah, which was just a short time ago, and uh, we we have a a good friendship relationship and sometimes you don't talk about things because it doesn't doesn't it's not what you really want to talk about. You want to talk about fun things and happy things. Wow. Okay. But, but, but what's interesting and, is John knows, told John, me I'm a happy guy. <laughs> Good for you, Bruce. Um, Bruce, John told me that you you actually pay for Jerry's defense. Are you still doing that? Yeah, I'm still giving money uh, to his counsel. I'm one of the people giving money to help pay his counsel. Uh, not enough to pay at all. I mean, the, Lindsay is is doing some of this pro bono. And what are you, what are your uh, thoughts on the prognosis? I mean, it, we're we're taping this just before uh, another appeal hearing for for Jerry Sandusky in in October of 2020. What what do, what do you think the chances are that any of this is ever going to forget about being fixed, even be fully adjudicated in a just way? John, good, it's a hell of a good question, and you know I should be careful how I answer this, but I, I'm going to answer it very honestly. I think anything that is anybody, any judge that is going to opine on this will, is elected to office, will have a hell of a time doing anything that would favor Jerry Sandusky because they want to get reelected. That's not true with the federal system. Those judges are appointed for life. And I have several of my dearest friends in life who are federal judges. 
they hear this case and the violation of the Brady Rule, and on that alone, on that alone, they would give jury a new trial. Well, hold on a second. And I think I, I think that that, it, and it's I don't know when this next hearing will take place. I'm, and I'm guessing the rule against jury, and then it goes to the federal system because you have to exhaust all your state remedies before you can go to, to the federal system. And- and Bruce, so, uh, Bruce, you and I are on the exact same page on this, that there's no chance that anything in the state court system in Pennsylvania is ever going to reverse this because there's just too much risk. But on the federal side, there is a shot because of the nature of federal judges. But you said something very interesting there. You have friends who are federal judges who have told you that their reading of the Brady rule, which is the issue of the defense not being given exculpatory information, that on that alone, they would rule for Jerry to get a new trial. These are friends of yours? Yes, they are friends of mine. They're good people. And and this has been mul- multiple federal judges have told you this? Three. One of them I served in Vietnam with, one of which I played football against. He played for Syracuse. And the other one, female, uh, was married to one of my best friends, my teammate, who died. And she's a federal judge. And we've we've had, you know, in-length discussions about this. They 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 say that that violation, and, and there were apparently more than one uh, violation of the Brady Rule, is enough to overturn and, and have a mistrial uh, and, and, and maybe even to let him go at this point. I, will... I mean, it, 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 these are profound legal errors, John. They, they, these aren't just you know, technical technicalities. Do, do you believe, Bruce, that the prosecution knew or at least suspected that Jerry wasn't actually guilty, or do you believe that they all bought in that this was real, and that the reason their evidence stunk was because of the nature of trying to of, of capture a pedophile and how difficult it is? I mean, I, I'm I'm a non-conspiracy person by nature, uh, but the, the corruption that was involved in this case is, runs pretty darn deep. And I'm just curious where you stand on that as, as far as was this a perfect storm of everyone thinking they were doing the right thing to get a pedophile, or was there something more nefarious that happened here? I, I tell you, John, uh, I, I would hope there's nothing more nefarious, but it stinks. I mean, it really stinks. And, and that it would not surprise me that they, they came to the conclusion that they had a, a crappy case and they were going to have to do a lot to find him to be guilty. And they would be. This would be a career maker for them, and then they took it on. That might not be true, but it, 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 it's so bad. The, those things that we know that you have to someplace in your heart think they they were doing something wrong. All right. And, uh, well, let's wrap, let's start to wrap things up here because I know you got to go watch the, uh, the the Army football well, I game. I hope you are too. Well, <laughs> well we're we're busy. We're, we we got other other stuff we got to do. <laughs> but uh, and, but although I got to tell you, I watch as many Army football games as I can. Um, but and I didn't even go there. But uh, give us a sense. You went to Georgetown. Yeah. Well, we barely had a football team. Well, so, you had a football team. They bare, weren't very good, but you had a team. <laughs> okay, okay. All right. So so Bruce, in our in our final moments here, um, the who who Jerry Sandusky really is. You've given us a sense of this, but but my theory on on what really happened here is that Jerry Sandusky is a, a man who uh, who who got lost in time. In other words, he never changed, society did. And that, uh, that kids changed, the rules changed, 
And Jerry didn't see it. Jerry didn't understand it. He was naive to the change. He was naive to the danger that he was in because of the nature of who kids are in this day and age. And that I believe after he left Penn State, a little bit of the magic drifted drifted away from him because he was no longer Jerry Sandusky defensive coordinator to an Aaron Fisher. He was just a goofy guy with boundary issues who ran a charity and didn't even drive a nice car. And, and that, therefore, uh, the, the respect that he had of those kids uh, with the generational changes shifted, and he didn't see it. And so the same tactics that used to work in the 80s or the 90s stopped working, and it actually created a situation where he was very vulnerable to what transpired. What do you make of that theory? Well, that probably is true. Jerry was... Uh as I said, he, he was a father father figure, and maybe he stopped being a father figure when he no longer had the glow of being a defensive coordinator, but he still was imposing discipline on these kids, which they didn't like. They were willing to accept it when he, when he was in the glow of being a defensive coordinator at Penn State, when he could bring kids into the stadium, when he could bring kids to practice, when he could bring them in to the workout room, when he could shower with them. All those things were different, and all of a sudden, Jerry no longer had that, and, and his discipline remained. And he was doing what he thought was right. You could very well be right about that. That it was, again, a perfect storm. Bruce, I want to thank you for your time. I also want to thank you for being one of the very few prominent people who is willing to publicly say, you know what? Uh, I made a mistake, and I'm trying my best to reverse that mistake because uh, that is something incredibly rare in today's society. And if it happened more in this case, justice might have been done. Uh, and, and so you deserve a lot of credit for that. I know we, we've had our battles, but I do appreciate the, <laughs> I, I do appreciate I told you, I really respect at a high level that which you've done for the Sandusky family, and I, I really mean that. Liz, I look forward to meeting you. I expect when you come up here, you'll buy me a drink. I would at, love to. At Gigi's Restaurant, which my, <laughs> is named after my wife. And we'll have have time together to talk about things. Yeah, it's so unfortunate what's gone on here. And I'm going to hold out hope that, that the truth can, can finally, people can finally accept that there's truth here that hasn't been told. Thank you so much. Thank you both for your time. Thanks, Bruce. So, Liz, I want to clean up uh, one of the, the issues in that interview, which was that I asked Bruce about something that I found to be incredibly important uh, that he either didn't remember or didn't want to talk about or some combination thereof because uh, it was a critical moment for me in all of this, and I think it's a fascinating story. And this deals with his relationship with Ira Lupert and my email exchange with Ira Lupert. Here's what happened. When I went to Bruce and I, I started to, to say, okay, Bruce, I think Jerry is innocent. And I'm, I'm thinking Bruce could be a key person to flip back, right, for obvious reasons. And plus, I just wanted him to know from a human standpoint that he hadn't actually been enabling a pedophile. I'm thinking from his own personal right, guilt. Right, which seems compassionate to right, me. Right, right, right. That's compassionate. His own, mm -hmm. I've been big into that during this whole thing. I did the same thing with Graham Spanier. I, I wanted to make sure Graham knew this didn't really happen under his watch. And, and, and Bruce said, you know, John, uh, I, I'm, I'm open to that, except I have been told that Ira Lupert has a tape of Jerry Sandusky abusing a boy. And my first reaction was, Bruce, that's ridiculous. 
ridiculous. I mean, I'm, I'm almost mocking him on the phone because this is years after the story is broken. There's absolutely no possible way that Ira Lupert has a tape of this that has never been, uh, forget about, you know, not being made public. That hasn't even been rumored about. It wasn't at Jerry's trial. Right, but I mean, he thinks Ira Lupert, and he is a good friend of his. So, well, What you just said is so key. And this goes to uh, what some people might refer to as the old boys network or whatever. Yes, it does. I I am a huge believer in this being a major part of the perfect storm at various aspects of this. I've talked previously about how I know that these board members were going to do whatever – you know, Tom Corbett told them to do or whatever the New York Times told them to do when the panic hits, because these this is the way these people work. They all think of themselves as in a club, that they're special people, that they don't lie to each other, that there's a code. And he knows Ira. He likes Ira. I didn't even know at that time how close to Ira he was. And so in his mind, in Bruce's mind, Ira couldn't possibly be lying about this. Now, the way Bruce told me the story, and this is where we got a little sideways in the interview, the way Bruce told me the story was it wasn't directly from Ira. It was from another board member, which I'm always very suspicious of anything that's whispered down the lane, right? I mean, in any in any story, but especially one this toxic, never trust a whisper down the lane story unless there's reason to. Absolutely. And in, in, in this particular situation, there was no reason to believe it because it was inherently an absurd story. And so what I had been told was that Ira had told another board member. Now, I went to other board members and I said, "Does this? did this rumor ever make it to you? And uh, one of them in particular said, no, but it sounds like something Ira might do. And because I was immediately, my perception was, here's what happened, that people were starting to push back against the settlements and Ira took out a sledgehammer to kill a fly. That's basically what happened. In other words, I'm going to nip this right in the bud. I'm going to make it, you know, anyone has any semblance of pushback against this, I'm going to make them believe that no, 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 trust me, there is indisputable evidence of Jerry's guilt and just let me do my stuff. That was my interpretation because I know the way these people work. And so I knew there wasn't a tape. I knew that was impossible absolutely impossible. And I, I literally laughed at Bruce. I laughed at him. I thought there's, there's, it is absurd that you believe this, but the only reason why he believed it, and I understand it even better now, is because he trusted Ira and he, and this, he trusts this network of friends. So I emailed Ira Lupert and it took several emails because at first he starts to play dumb, or at least that's my interpretation that Lupert is playing dumb. But uh, eventually I get Lupert to say there is no tape. And so I forward that to Bruce, and I'm I'm stunned that Bruce doesn't remember that, if that's what's happened. Well, but, or it sounds like he didn't want to talk about it. Maybe, I don't know. Because he's turning on a friend publicly, because this is still his friend. I, I get it. But I, I'm just, I just want people to know what actually happened there. Right. And I have the emails to show it, and uh, and it's an important story to me. Because, one, it shows the way... 
human beings interact here. It also shows how people like Bruce were sidelined, that any sort of opposition was immediately uh, curtailed and diminished and intimidated. There was an enormous amount of intimidation here. I mean, could imagine, Liz, how difficult it was for anybody in a prominent position to push back against this to begin with. You never want to come down on the wrong side, though. So even if you think Jerry Sandusky is not guilty, what if there's like that just what if he isn't? And then you took the wrong side. It's just so frightening. This is. Yes. A hundred thousand percent what you just said. And it doesn't take. That's why I say he took a sledgehammer to a fly, because it doesn't take much to push back against that. It only takes a whiff of, hey, don't don't go there because you're going to get crushed because there's 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 more evidence. There's and, and by the way. Right. And by the way, this would be new evidence if there was a tape. What were you about to say? Because I was going to ask you, how did Ira Lupert, like, what did he answer? Well, what did he say? There's no tape. I mean, he told- he, he acted in, in, these were very short email exchanges with me, uh, which I don't have in front of me, but he, it was basically, uh, you know, he, he was pretending as if this is this is something he's never heard of before. That, that, he, that this oh, is, that this, he never said such which, a thing. Which, by the way, if I take, if, if I take him at his word, this could have just then ended up as a rumor that got attached to his name that someone gave but wait to, a minute. to Bruce. But wait a minute, because I want to point something out that I heard Bruce say that I heard A.J. Dillon tell us, mm-hmm. okay? No, not... I think that it was on the tape with A.J. Dillon. Bruce said that when he asked Ira, was it in the coffee shop or whatever? And he said, well, if you've seen and heard right, the right, things right, I have, right, you, right. right? Same story with A.J., right. right? Have you seen and heard the things that I have? And that stops me in my tracks every time because I'm like, what's Ira talking about? Because that's this a, was in court. And yeah. That's a great point. Um, and, and that goes to something that has happened uh, since the beginning of this case that has paralyzed uh, specifically Paterno uh, supporters. There's always been a fear there's more coming. There's okay, more coming. Let me stop there's that, though. There's more coming. There's Ira, more coming. Does, are we to assume that Ira Lupert meets individually with the accusers? I doubt it. Yeah, well, I think everyone thought that that was the case, but that did Because not... of what he's saying. Right. I seen and heard. Right, right. Give us some proof, Ira Lupert. What have you seen and heard? Because what is that line? And by the way, I think you put your finger on something here that that it doesn't take much to morph I've seen stuff that you haven't into there was a tape. I mean, that's, that's, that's a very small... Very small mu- Mutation. That's right. And, and so, therefore, uh, in Bruce's mind, he might even... It's possible even he, he helped concoct this in his own mind. Maybe he pre- presumed that Ira is telling him about something that's really substantial. I don't know. And, and clearly, Bruce doesn't know because he doesn't remember. But the, the story is important... Be- no, Bruce didn't want to talk about some things. Okay, that's He's fine. still friends. The thing that I heard that tragedy as we were going through, first of all, two things. You just said, oh, you could call it the old boys club or whatever. And then he talked about how, well, you know, the, the president of the university, the one that took over after Bram, Graham Spanier, he was the one that told Ira, move on. And it's sort of this old boys club thing, you know, move on, pay out these things, get it done as fast as you can, whatever that assumption that we're going to make here. That, that these are people who think they're doing what's best for everyone, right? right? This is the be- This is what's best for the university. So it really doesn't matter what the truth is and who you've hurt, but a lot of people are hurt here, and it's not best for anybody. The truth is the only thing the best. But the other thing, that the tragedy was, 
for me, listening to Bruce, he's still friends with Ira Looper. And did you hear him sort of swallow it? Yeah, that was a friend of mine, too, when he's talking about the president mm. of the university. But that's what happens with friendships. It's like, here you are. You have a fundamental difference with your friends, but you have a history with them as your friends, right? You're, you're, you're the guys that you went to college with and were in the fraternity with, would, couldn't you might not be friends with them if you met them at 45 years old. Mm. But meeting them in college, it was a different thing. But you had a fundamental difference with them. And he's just going to keep his mouth shut about his fundamental difference. And it's like the Twilight Zone. He's going to keep having dinner with Ira Liberty. He's going to keep doing things with these people because... He wants to at least keep that part of the... He's got to keep the friendship. It, it does even... I expressed it during the interview. Shocking that you would never uh, address this issue. Not really, but, John. But, but, but in, I agree with you because sometimes the story is so big and so dangerous, you just ignore it. Yeah. You, you just is pretend it, that it didn't ever happen. You can't lose everything the, in your life. Because if you go down that path, there's no good end. That's right. Um, although I have to say that if I was friends with Ira Looper, you I, can would, assure, I can assure you this would come up. <laughs> right, me too, John. But th- not everyone is like you and me. They just don't. I mean, I have friends who can do things with me, just ignore things. And if I start bringing right. things up, well, that's it. They'll stop talking to me for a long time right. until they settle down again. But the interview with Bruce, I think, was fascinating in giving us an insight as to what was really going on. And I, I really believe that the most important part of the Bruce Heim story, other than, and there's so many significant aspects, yeah. I mean, telling us directly that Alan Myers should be going to hell uh, is, right. is important. But also uh, him agreeing that if he hadn't been sidelined in November of 2011, this could have been a very different story. Uh, because Jerry loses an incredibly significant advocate at that time. And and it happens because of the media hysteria. Without the media hysteria, and we've talked about this in a lot, but especially during our panic episode, when there's a panic, everybody runs for the hills. And now in a situation where presumption of innocence is all you have going for you, you're toast. Because not only... Does Jerry Sandusky lose Bruce Heim? Now, nobody who was willing to testify for him previously about what a fraud the Aaron Fisher story is and everybody else is is even willing to consider it. No one, they won't even answer a phone call. There is absolutely no support. All presumption of innocence is gone and the perfect storm is, is heading for a disastrous result in a trial just seven months later. 